seat. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church, and it's a joy to gather with you this morning uh, on this Christmas weekend. Thanks for being here in person. And for those of you gathering online, glad that you can tune in with us online as we worship our God and King this morning. Uh, you know, I wanted to just mention a couple of things before we uh, have our sermon text read this morning. Uh, first thing is, uh, I know there's kids in the room this morning, and we are grateful for that. Um, if parents, if you're here, thanks for being here. I know it's a lot. You may get half of what's said today, uh, but I'm gra- grateful that you're here and be able to worship with us and be around God's people this morning. If you're feeling particular pressure this morning, uh, there is kids' rooms in the back that are open and the audio for our sermon is also on in the lobby. But also feel free to stay in here. We're glad that you're here this morning. Next week is the first week of the new year. Today's our last Sunday of 2021. Uh, and next week, Christo is going to be coming and preaching from God's word. Christo is our youth director, and he's going to be kicking off our year in Hebrews chapter 2. So make plans to come out and gather with us next week. And then right after that, the following Sunday, we'll jump back into 1 John. But before we do that today, we get into our text today and end our year in God's word. Uh, we're, I'm going to invite Karis up to read our sermon text today out of the book of Haggai. Haggai 2, 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God of glory. We thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to be here in this place, to gather in person. God, we thank you for technology to be able to gather online, those that are at a distance right now. And God, we thank you for this season of Advent. And I pray now that you would help us to take a breath, to take a breath and behold your glory today, so that as we walk out of here into this week, 
wrapping up this year and heading into the next, we might continue to behold your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I've always loved this time of year, this Advent season. I love all the decorations and the greenery. I especially love Christmas lights. Last Sunday, we took our kids out in the evening and drove around our neighborhood for a while, just looking at all the different decorations on all the houses. And it makes me kind of sad that we're at this point because now it's time to take it all down. And I kind of wish that we could just keep it up all year. I'd be okay with that. I mean, I remember as a kid that part of our decorations my family had was we had candles in each of the windows that faced the front of the house or faced the street. And I loved having that candle in my room. My parents would let me leave it on when I went to bed. So normally the room was dark, but during Advent season, it was lit up. There was a bit more light than normal. It was a special time, a unique time, a time with a whole lot of anticipation. I mean, there's something glorious and magnificent about Christmas. I mean, it is the most wonderful time of year, right? Maybe not always, though. Maybe not this year for some of you. Even these last couple of weeks, we've had added challenges with COVID rearing its head again in a new and frustrating way. And I don't know about you, man, it can be exhausting. It can be tiring at times, trying on us. And if we're honest, it hasn't just been a few hard weeks, it's been a few hard years with all that's going on in our world, all that's going on in our lives. But even if that's the case, in the midst of all the mess, I don't want us to miss something. I don't want us to miss that there is still a glory to behold. There's still a magnificence to marvel at, a peace to be had, a hope to hold fast to. We may find ourselves easily discouraged or easily distracted, but in the midst of that and that reality of our own life, what I don't want us to do is to chase after less glorious things. Not only in this Advent season, but in the everyday moments of life, no matter what time of year it is and no matter what's going on. Two days ago on Christmas Eve, we wrapped up our Advent series called God With Us where we were looking at different places in scripture to really see the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus, the one who came to us as one of us to rescue us. And today we're gonna keep talking about Advent, but we're gonna do so in a little different kind of way. The aim of today is a bit different. The goal isn't to give you action items or a lot of applications. The hope is for all of us to go into the end of 2021 in awe of the glory of God and his faithfulness to keep his promises. To end this year in awe of God's glory and his faithfulness to keep his promises. My hope today is simply to give you hope. As we end another year of challenge, another year of difficulty, and head into the unknown of the next. Now to do that, we're going to start in perhaps an unexpected place and go about this in an unexpected way. The sermon today isn't a sermon with three points, but I'm going to tell a story with three parts. And in that, we're going to begin our journey in the book of Haggai, as you just heard read, a very short book in the Old Testament. And in doing that, we're going to see a wonderful story unfold that spans both testaments and time. So grab your Bible and open up to Haggai chapter 2 if you're still trying to find where that is. Start in Matthew, flip a few pages back, and you'll find it. Or use your table of contents at the beginning. It's okay if you don't know where it is. But may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. You know, a lot of us, I'm guessing, aren't super familiar with what's called the minor prophets in the Bible and maybe aren't very familiar with the book of Haggai. It's two chapters long. Maybe some of you didn't even know it existed. Again, that's okay. 
But what is going on in this little short book in the Bible? Well, I want to start off this morning with a little bit of history. Kids, it's Christmas break. I don't want you to think you're off school. We've got stuff to learn this morning. You have a little blue note uh, piece of paper. You can jot down some notes, learn a little bit of history today. What's going on here in context historically is that the people of Israel, they were sent into exile. Exile means they were removed from their place. They were sent to another place that wasn't their home. And that place was called Babylon. They were sent there because of their own disobedience. They hadn't been following God in the way that he had called them to follow him. But it wasn't just their removal to a new place that wasn't their home. It was also the destruction of their very way of life. See, when the Babylonians came in and King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple of God that Solomon had built. This place of worship for God's people. So not only were they exiled to a place they didn't know, the very special place where God's presence dwelt among his people, it was destroyed and defiled. I mean, heartbreaking would be an understatement for how they were feeling. They've been in captivity for quite some time, but God promised that they wouldn't remain in exile forever, but would return one day to their city, to their home. And in 539 BC, Cyrus the Great came and conquered Babylon. And in 538 BC, he made an edict that allowed Israel to not only return to Jerusalem, to their city, but also to rebuild the temple, the special place of worship for God's people. We see this in the book of Ezra. Jenna mentioned the Bible reading plan starts off in the Old Testament in Ezra this year. If you've never read that, take some time, dive into God's word. So a remnant of God's people head back to Jerusalem and they head back to rebuild the temple and the people get to work. They're excited. They're finally going back to this place. But they soon faced opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. People didn't like that they were there. They didn't like what they were doing. And so they got discouraged along the way and they actually stopped working on rebuilding the temple out of fear. And their fear turned into complacency. They stopped building and instead they sought personal comfort and pleasure instead of walking in obedience to what God had called them to do. Has something like that ever happened to you? You faced some difficulty or some challenge and you stopped working on something or towards something? Maybe you just lost interest along the way or finally, finally those Ikea directions got the best of you and you just chucked the whole thing. Well, this is where Haggai comes in. Haggai was a prophet. A prophet is a messenger of the Lord sent to represent God to the people to speak on behalf of God. And he comes with a message to God's people to communicate a word of the Lord to them. And what he communicated through Haggai was that the people of Israel should not and cannot stop rebuilding the temple of God. Why? Because the glory of the Lord is in the temple. When we talk about God's glory, we're talking about his regalness, his, the weightiness of who he is. The majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, who he is, his power in his presence. See, God wants them to rebuild the temple so that his glorious presence might dwell among them in this place of the temple. He wanted them to rebuild it so that right worship might be restored. He wanted them to rebuild it so that the restoration of God's people might come about. So Haggai comes. He comes to motivate the leaders of Judah, Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. He comes to motivate the people of Judah, to challenge them to not be complacent, but instead to renew their efforts to complete this work of restoring the temple. See, for Haggai, this is a matter of honor for God and his glory. It's a matter of reverent fear and radical obedience. 
even the face of opposition. But there's more going on here than just the simple restoration of this magnificent place of worship. God wants to help them see something more, to look forward to something greater. Look at verse 3 in Haggai 2. It says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Haggai asked an interesting question here, a question that only a few could honestly answer yes to. Who saw this house in its former glory? Now, the people of Israel have been in exile for 70 years. And so the only people that could have seen it in its former glory are now old men and women who were young children at that time. But he asked this question to go to their heart. He's saying, do you remember how great the old temple was? Do you remember the glory of this place? Like what it was like when Solomon built it before it was destroyed? You see, the temple that Solomon built was an extravagant place. It had massive amounts of gold. Almost everything in it was either made of gold or overlaid with gold. There were these huge statues of angels, some 15 feet tall with 15 foot wingspans made out of gold that stood in the most holy place. The altar of incense, the table for the bread, the tin lampstands, all were made out of gold. The inner sanctuary of the temple was overlaid with gold. I don't think any of us have ever seen anything quite like that. There were ornate decorations from columns to doors to walls, handcrafted and beautiful in every way. It was absolutely magnificent and breathtaking. It brought about awe in all who walked in and saw it. But now, looking at the ruins and the work they've done so far, Haggai is pointing out the obvious. This new work, this rebuild, isn't, it isn't anything like what it used to be. He's pressing on something that the older people already recognized. See, before they stopped building the temple because of that outside pressure, the foundation of the temple had already been laid. And in Ezra chapter 3, it says that when the foundation was completed, the people shouted with praise. They were so excited that finally the temple is getting rebuilt. But do you know what it says about the old men? It says they wept. They wept with a loud voice when they saw this new thing because it just wasn't the same. Haggai, on behalf of the Lord, is calling the people to rebuild this place, but now he seems to be jabbing at the work, pointing out its lack of extravagance, its lack of glory. What's going on here? What's going on is God is leading them down a road of hope of a greater glory. Look at verses four and five. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. God is encouraging the people to press on. He's encouraging them to trust him. He says, listen, I will be with you just like I always have been with you. Just like when I rescued you out of Egypt. His promises are sure and true because he is. And his spirit is in their midst. He's present with them. He hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't forsaken them. So he says, continue to move forward. And what's the result? Verses 6 through 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's saying to them, you don't need to fear man. There's anyone, anything anyone can do to stop you from doing this because I'm sovereign over all things. I will shake the heavens, God says, and the earth and the sea and the dry land. My power and my strength will be made known. And you don't even have to worry about where the resources are going to come from because the nations are going to be shaken as well and the treasures will come in from them. And the ultimate result is that this place will be filled with glory, with God's glory, with his presence. God will indeed dwell with his people. But the promise gets even better. Look at verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And this is an amazing statement. He's saying the latter glory of this temple is going to be greater than the former glory. The latter glory will exceed anything and everything about the temple that Solomon built. God's saying to all of the people, especially to the old men and women here, that the glory that you had but it was lost, it's not only going to return, it'll be far more magnificent. A greater glory is coming. I mean, you can almost taste and touch and feel the anticipation, like waiting for Christmas morning to come. Things aren't great. Things aren't awesome. There isn't a greater glory yet, but it's coming, God says. Oh, when will it come? When will it arrive? People are chomping at the bit to see it, to experience it, to participate in this latter glory, this greater glory. And not only that, God promises the people that in this place he'll bring peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's about harmony and wholeness. God's going to bring that about for God's people. It's an amazing promise, an amazing hope, amazing anticipation for what God will do. But then something happens. Something strange, something maybe a little bit confusing. The temple's completed. It becomes pretty great, but the glory really doesn't seem to be greater. Sacrifices and worship resume, but where's the greatness? I thought God said this was going to be really awesome, amazingly awesome. He said there'd be peace, but there isn't any. In fact, at least two different points after this, the temple is defiled and damaged again by foreign invaders. Have you ever had that kind of unmet expectation and anticipation? Maybe it happened to you yesterday. In your mind, you built up something about an experience you were going to have, what something was going to be like, and when it actually happens, it's good, but it's not as great as you thought it might be. Well, then something else happens. Right after this, the last of the prophets come, and then there are no more. It's eerie, it's disturbing, it's unsettling for God's people. God becomes silent. Not just for two years, or five years, or 50 years, but hundreds and hundreds of years. The story seems unfinished. The story seems to go cold, the promise unfulfilled. Is God faithful? Is he untrue to his promises? Where is this latter glory? God, why are you not speaking to us now? Do you ever feel that way in your own life? God, where are you? And I know I have. God says it's good to have children. And when we were trying to have kids, we weren't able to for a long time. And it was like, God, what are you doing? I thought this is a good thing. Why aren't you present? What, what are you doing in our lives? God called me into ministry and this is going to be a good thing, telling people about Jesus. But there were moments where it was really hard. And in those moments, I'm thinking, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
think about this. Every person, every person who heard these words from Haggai, every single one of them died without seeing any of this happen. And their children and their grandchildren died without seeing any of this happen. So much anticipation, so much excitement, so much promise, but no completion. But then one day, after 400 years of silence, everything changed. Herod was king, a puppet king put in place by the occupying Romans in Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 1, we see that there's a temple priest named Zechariah. He and his wife are said to be righteous. They're, they're walking with the Lord. And Zechariah isn't anyone any, particularly special. He's just one priest among hundreds of priests. But on this day, he's chosen to go into the temple to offer incense before the Lord. And it says the people are outside praying. They still long for God to speak. And then something amazing happens. As Zechariah is offering incense in this holy place, on the altar of incense before the most holy place where the presence of God dwells, an angel shows up. It appears on the right side of the altar. I mean, you can imagine how terrifying that would be. You're the only one in the room and all of a sudden there's this bright, glowing person next to you. But then the angel, Gabriel, speaks to him. God's silence is broken and it's broken with a promise. Zechariah, your wife is gonna have a son and you're gonna name him John and he's gonna be used by God to prepare a people for the Lord. God isn't silent any longer. God is on the move. Then several months later, Gabriel comes again, this time to another unassuming and unsuspecting person, a young girl named Mary. And he speaks another promise. Mary, you're going to have a baby, but it's not just going to be any baby. You're to name him Jesus and he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. He will be king, but not just any king. He'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords whose rule and reign will never end, will last forever. God isn't silent. God's on the move. Nine months later, Jesus is born to Mary and to her new husband, Joseph, who would become Jesus' adoptive father. And he's born into humble circumstances and he's laid in a manger. But then something else even more amazing happens. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. It's only a few pages away from where you're at in Haggai. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Listen to this. It says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This new little family with this new little child has come with a great promise. They make their way to Jerusalem to where? To the temple. To the temple. And God is working in other ways at the exact same time. Because just as Jesus and his family are arriving in this place, there's a man there that's expecting their arrival. Look at verses 25 through 32 in Luke chapter 2. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that the comfort, the hope of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, this Messiah, this rescuer. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation 
which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you see what Simeon has declared here? Why is he even here? How did he even know this? Because he knows God's word and he has God's spirit. He comes into this place and he declares this thing about Jesus, this child that's brought into the temple, this same temple, a word is spoken over him and about him. He says, this one, he's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. That means the nations, all people, every tribe, every language, every nation, and he is glory to the people of Israel. A greater glory has arrived. The temple was completed under Zerubbabel, who, by the way, is in Jesus' family line. But in many ways, it wasn't complete. I mean, eventually, Herod, this current king, massively upgrades the temple with extravagant reconstruction and renovations and additions. But it was still lacking. It wasn't the ultimate glory like Haggai promised. Why? Why? Because that was never the point. The promised greater glory wouldn't come in the forms of bricks and mortar. It would come in the form of a person. And Simeon declares that that person is the child from Nazareth, Jesus. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple in all of its purposes. The people needed salvation. They brought sacrifices for their sin, but Jesus comes to be the final and last sacrifice for sin. The people long for peace. Jesus has come. He is our peace. The people long for God's glory and his presence. It's arrived in Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, says this, And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, Jesus himself tells us, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Everything that Haggai talked about, all of it is fulfilled in Christ. The latter glory which is a greater glory, has arrived. I mean, think about this. Haggai even said, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come into this place. And in Matthew chapter two, Paul just referenced this in our call to worship. These wise men come, these kings from the east come to Jerusalem, to, or sorry, to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to this area of Judea, to worship the newborn king. Paul read this, Matthew 2, 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The nations are coming to worship the newborn king. A foreshadowing of what Jesus would do to receive people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. What we see in Simeon's declaration is the universal picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. He is the king of glory, the savior, the servant, who's come to redeem more than Israel. He's come for the world. See, Jesus comes in the temple as a baby. About 33 years after this first visit to the temple, it would become absolutely clear that he is the final temple. As he goes and dies on the cross for sinners like you and me, bearing the punishment for all of our sin and all of our rebellion and all of our false worship, and when he dies, you know what happened? The veil in the temple that separates us from the most holy place, it's torn in two. We now have access to God through him when we repent and place our faith in Jesus. The hope of Israel, the hope of the world, it's not in a place, it's not in a building, it's in God himself. Hope is found in Jesus alone for restoration and reconciliation. Now, why talk about this now? 
on this last Sunday before the end of the year, before we jump into 2022. Like I said at the beginning, I don't have a lot of application for you. Instead, what I hope has happened and want to encourage you toward in the coming days is to be in awe of the glory of God. To be in awe of the glory of God and his faithfulness to keep his promises. See, the people of God, they longed for this greater glory. They longed for peace. But in the midst of anticipation, in the midst of waiting, they sought it out in other places and things. We can do the same thing. We are often impatient. We often struggle with waiting. We struggle to believe God will come through. And so we start to look for joy and look for peace in other things besides Jesus, our stuff or our status, politics or people. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in whatever the world's going to offer to us. And we might even know the promises of God that he says that he will work all things together for our good for his purpose. Man, life's hard though. Following Jesus is difficult at times and so we find ourselves tempted to look for glory in less glorious things. Just like Israel, we often want God in his presence but not in God's way. What we see with the people of God in Haggai is that there's an unfinished story. The reality is for all of us that we are in the middle of small, unfinished stories that are part of a larger unfinished story. See, Jesus has come. He's defeated Satan's sin and death, but our world is still broken. Sin and suffering still remain. And so we long for that full and final restoration because our lives in this world are at times disheveled and in disarray. The story is not yet finished. And so we wait and we wait. And in our waiting, we realize that we may not see everything come together in the way that we hope. We may not see our children come to know and follow Jesus. We may not see peace come in the midst of broken relationships or even in our world. We may not see the overcoming of diseases like cancer and COVID. But as we wait with anticipation of this restoration, like the people of God waited in the silent years, let's not look for peace. Let's not look for glory in something or someone else. Let's look to Jesus. Let's look to him and see him in his word. See, when we look to him, we can remember that God is faithful to his promises. The peace of God and the glory of God and the presence of God are found in him. So friends, don't be distracted. Don't be so easily satisfied with lesser things. But instead, like Simeon, find your joy, find your satisfaction in seeing Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what he will do. See, the story isn't finished yet, but we know the end. What's clear from Haggai and Luke is that even in the midst of the mess, God keeps his promises. The king of glory has come and the good news is he will come again. Listen to this amazing news. Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And what's he going to do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
And death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he, Jesus, who seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I saw a new temple, no temple in the city. I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations just like Haggai said they would. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Every aspect, all of it, of the promise that Haggai made long ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago began to be fulfilled when Jesus' parents brought him into that temple. And they'll be ultimately and finally fulfilled when our risen king returns. That's what we celebrate at Advent. He has come and he will come again. And we can have confidence in this because God is faithful. And he does what he says. And he will keep all of his promises. So now, no matter what tomorrow brings, no matter what the rest of this year has for you, no matter what the next 365 days has for you, look forward in hope as you fix your eyes on Jesus. He is glorious and he is better and he will come again to make all things new. And to that we say, amen. Come Lord Jesus. To help us celebrate this greater glory, we're gonna take communion together now. And so if you don't yet have the elements, you can grab those in the tables in the